From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Edgy Shulman, and welcome to the new Blue Review, our first show of 2019. Good to be in studio. And I'm happy to say we're going to be getting the show off to a flying start, literally, because later on in the show we're going to be talking about a new children's book that's launched uh, with the new Space IL, that's the Israeli Space Program, so it's pretty interesting, as well as the Philippine Airlines that are, are look like they might be having a direct flight to Israel, so that's all going to be super interesting. Uh, how are you doing? hope you had a fantastic holiday. Uh, if some of you are still on leave, Lucky fish. Well, I hope that you're listening and enjoying. I know the kids are only going back, uh, most of them, uh, next week, but you can definitely see already on the roads, uh, some people are back. They're going to work. So, uh, if you're listening to that, then we're very happy to be with you on the show. By the way, if you ever want to be engaged with us, 0618951019, that is the WhatsApp line. You can SMS us at 34519, tweet us at KaiFM, uh, or, uh, uh, email us on air at com. We'll happily take any of your engagements uh, on that side of things. Uh, and we were just actually talking as the show started with the morning team, and uh, we were saying that it is, in fact, uh, school time again. And if you think that going back to school is a drag, then think again, because Walton's uh, is going back to school and has everything and everything in one convenient place. So they've got great deals on school essentials and a variety of quality brands, and your shopping will be done in no time because they do it all for you. So you should avoid the rush and get to Walton's now. Shop online at backtoschool.co.za or visit one of their countrywide stores where helpful staff will pack your tra- your list and trading hours have even been extended uh, in case that you're running a little bit late. So... That is convenience, and uh, check out Bidvest Waltons, because then it will be sorted. You can visit their new stores as well in Nord Mall and Morningside Shopping Center. So that's Waltons. Uh, make sure you get out there. Make sure the kids are well-equipped. You've got to have all the glue sticks and the pens and the pencils and the papers and all of that kind of stuff. And it's important to note also because of our first guest of 2019, uh, I'm excited we're going to be talking just after the break to Yossi Mahalba. Uh, he is a researcher and he's interested in all sorts of things. And we're going to be delving into a little bit of history, going back to a Zionist pioneer, Martin Buber. And not just talking about him, although we will be talking about him. Uh, we're also going to be talking about his connection to the ANC, to the American Civil Rights Movement to some of African pan-Africanism. So it's going to be super interesting, and we're going to be talking to Yossi just after the break. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is the New Blue Review. And we're talking today to Yossi Mahalba. Uh, he is a researcher, someone who's interested in South African history and Israeli history, and uh, recently spent a lot of good quality time with some old papers uh, in, in Israel. And we're going to be talking to him about that because he's been doing a lot of research on Martin Buber and his effects on all sorts of international uh, protest movements and regimes. So I thought I'd bring him into studio and we could chat about it further. Yossi, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us on the New Blue Review. Hi, Benji. Thanks for having me here. It's great to be here and to be able to share my research. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely fascinating stuff. Maybe let's just start off, uh, maybe for people who don't know, who was Martin Buber and, and what was his philosophy? 
So uh, Martin Buber was uh, quite a f- famous philosopher. He had many accolades under his name. He published uh, thousands of articles and dissertations. The most famous of which was his theory of Icht and Du and Icht Es, which is the relationship between uh, oneself and his engagements with other people, nature, inanimate objects, and reality in general. And uh, he largely discussed the the shift between seeing someone as an object in your life versus seeing them as a life and interacting with that single entity. Because many, many times people walk through the shopping center and you, you're dodging objects. You're not avoiding people. And it's that's a very simplistic start point of his theory. He's also been nominated for many Nobel Prizes. He was nominated 10 times for a Nobel Prize in Literature and 7 times for Nobel Peace Prizes. And of course he was a very famous guy from a Jewish <coughs> perspective because he was uh, very connected to the Zionist cause and was the founder of the Hebrew University, which of course is a famous institution uh, in, in Israel. Uh, but he was kind of a, a bit of an unconventional Zionist as well. Very much so. Um, <clears throat> he caused a lot of um, um, polarities in the, uh, the intellectual community because many. He was a the- theosopher. He was a theologist, and he he was um, an Orthodox Jew to the point that he was very attracted to the Hasidic movement. And his wife, who wasn't Jewish, converted to Judaism, and <clears throat> they did believe in a once. As a Zionist and a religious man, he believed in a one-state solution where um, the Jewish population wouldn't be the majority. And that can obviously in a democratic uh, community can lead to problems. Yes, uh, he was like a bi-nationalist, right? So he sort of believed everybody should share everything, uh, which was at one point a part of the Zionist. The Haram had a bit of a view like that, but it, it kind of... It kind of got shunted to the wayside as things got worse and worse in Europe and uh, uh, and sort of deteriorated in, in that part of the world as well. No, 100%. Um, he, he also started shifting as time went. You know, like he spent a lot of time translating the Torah to German. And what was interesting is it was Germanish. He created words to add more of that chiyas uh, and kavanah from the Torah to it. <laughs> Very, very interesting. So what uh, decided you on to do some research on Martin Buber in the first place? <clears throat> well, I was quite lucky in the fact that I landed up in Israel with some time to kill. And as a South African, as a Jew, and as an African, I've always been intrigued on how we can... We all want to help Israel. We all want to help the Jewish community. And I was wondering, I've always been very into history and I've always in part time and uh, full time here and there given a lot of effort into finding the connections of my own roots. And when I was in Israel, I decided, let me take a shot. Let me go on the Hebrew University website. Let me Google some South Africans. And see what see what pitches up. Yeah, let's see what pitches up. Let's see if they let me in the door. Who knows? Well, I mean, archives are a very interesting place, right? You you see them, uh, you know, it's very antiseptic, uh, very like scary place. What was it like to go in there uh, with all the people watching you and all the cameras and everything? Well, it was quite an education um, because I didn't go in there with a doctorate or a thesis I was working on. Um, 
my first time I arrived, they had to negotiate my way to the archives. Mm -hmm. Then once I did that and I was in the archives, I had to negotiate my way to actually access some paper. And I had to, each day there was a new person at the desk. So I had to renegotiate myself each day. No one knew who I was, what I was doing and why I was doing it. And, and, and no doubt we were suspicious because, uh, you know, people, people are, you know, they have, get stolen and things disappear and damaged. There's a whole, I just read a book actually on people used to just steal from archives. I'm sure that they're very suspicious of, uh, of, of people. Yeah, when you, when you start looking at the big stuff that actually have a resonant value to the state of Israel, they, Obviously get a bit nitpicky. So right. there's no pens in the archive, pencils only. If you want a sip of your water, which you left at the door, you go go outside to have a sip of your water and they weigh every single page. And that's, that's to stop people from stealing it so that you, 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 you can see how much you've taken out or, or not. Correct. I mean, uh, they're, they're actually so nitpicky to the point. I found a newspaper article that was folded like off center, was folded badly. Mm-hmm. So when I was refolding it, he came to shout at me. I'm like, what's wrong? I'm just folding it properly. And then when I explained why I was folding it that way, it's like, oh, okay, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. If you ever decide to be an archivist, uh, now you'll know uh, what you're, what you're up against. By the way, if you want to be part of the conversation, 0618951019, that's the WhatsApp line, SMS34519, email us on airchaifm.com or tweet us at airchaifm. We're going to take a short break and we'll be talking again to Yossi after that. The best part of your day at the heart of your community. All the talk, all the music, all the news. Hi FM. 101.9 Hi FM. Benji Shulman on the new Blue Review. We're talking to Yossi Mahaba today about his research into the archives of Hebrew University and uh, particularly Martin Buber. And uh, you you said that you were looking for some South African connections. And did you find some quite interesting stuff, Yossi? Tell us a little bit about that. Um, I actually did. I was quite surprised. You know, when they have an online portal that you can Google names, locations, and some they've digitized. And I searched uh, Nelson Mandela, um, uh, Owar Tambo, and a few other prominent figures. And then, wouldn't you know, when I typed in Latuli, I got a hit. So uh, I think actually this year or last year was the year of uh, no, last year was the year of Oa Tambo, I apologize, but they have had, I think, the year of Albert El- uh, Tuli before. Um, and he was an interesting guy. Uh, maybe tell people a little bit about that. Uh, who was he and, and what was his involvement with the ANC? Because he kind of predates Mandela a little bit. Yeah, um, <clears throat> the, what I found interesting is as um a general um uh, person in the population you you tend to see the struggle against apartheid to have been quite violent mm-hmm. and i was very intrigued in finding out and fully understanding the aspects of their qualifications their leadership and where they went with all of their actions because of course latuli uh, was a chief first of all he was also deeply christian uh, and he was very committed to nonviolence. Correct. Uh, as most of the ANC was. And that's what I personally didn't understand. How were these people all 
so committed to non-violence, yet I'm learning about violence. Right. So I then started delving more into it, and it actually becomes very prominent that it was a greatly intellectual struggle. Mm-hmm. The violence became a last resort. Yes, and later on. Exactly. And uh, Lutuli uh, found the fact that, or understood the fact that, the the local population weren't able to apply the correct intellectual pressure without going cross border, mm-hmm. and that is where I feel his greatest success was. Yeah, he is very much an interesting uh, character uh, in in our in our history, and and someone who was very much a, a, a leading light, and and was quite opposed to the struggle to the turn to violence, uh, like people like Mandela eventually did. So that, that is very interesting. So, so what was his connection to Buba? Where, where did that come from? Well, it's actually interesting is, you know, the thing with archives, which is sad yet exciting, it's like treasure hunting, is they don't have carbon paper, they don't have backups on their PCs. And when they signed a letter and sent it, they don't have a copy from where it was sent. They only have a copy where it landed. Mm-hmm. So I found a letter in original blue ink um, signed by Albert Latuli and Martin Luther King to Martin Buber in 62, asking for him to help them stand up against the, the death penalty in South Africa for what they deemed terror acts against South Africa if you were opposed to apartheid regime. Mm-hmm. And the, the, it's not in the Martin Luther King archives in the U.S. It's not in our local archives here. And I then found action from Buber from that letter. They, in actual fact, recruited him, even though he was already active against the struggle. So he, he I mean, in 1962, I'm just trying to think, they may have already have it started, embarked on the, uh, on the, the, the violent campaign, the, the sabotage campaign. Uh, and so that letter must have been in a reference to saboteurs who'd been caught and, and maybe now put up on the death penalty. Correct. It was, uh, pr- as you can see in other letters to the press, you gain more understanding on why he got that letter. Mm-hmm. And that letter was to help save Sosulu and his captives from the death penalty by applying international pressure. Ah, okay. So it was actually more direct than that. It was uh, the treason trial itself Correct. that they were they were trying to get international support for. Correct. And Buber not only wrote to the Union of South Africa and international press, he also helped recruit other intellectuals. So who else uh, was he helping to recruit when he was doing that? Uh, he had close discussions uh, not all of them successful uh, with Einstein, with um, Sigmund Freud, and literally you go through his papers and he's writing to various institutions, various newspapers. I mean, he was a member of the World Peace B- Brigade, War Resisters International, American Committee on Africa. Amnesty International, the anti-apartheid movement, the International Confederation for Disarmament and Peace, and other movements. So it was a busy oak. It's unbelievable. I mean, I don't know how he even had time to write a book when he was writing letters to um, peace activists in China, to Eleanor Roosevelt, and all of the Pan-African uh, Alliance members as they were starting up. And and these letters were just general letters, or, or were they specifically to do with this campaign to to not have the death penalty, uh, you know, put on put on the the treason trialists? 
Uh, it was a bit here and there. Um, he had many discussions with Bill Sutherland and Eleanor Roosevelt, who they kind of spearheaded the Pan-African Alliance as well at, from the international point of view, while also helping to create this collective that's standing up for the, um, the treason trial and other actions there. So, so talk to us a little bit about the, the Pan-African uh, movement. What what was it about and what were they trying to achieve? So the Pan-African Alliance was trying to create like a united um, a communication of a, a united Africa mm-hmm. where it was spearheaded by local Africans mostly Kaembe, Keunda and Nerere and Kenyatta from um, Tanzania, from Kenya Zambia and um uh, they all work together to try, firstly, hone uh, passive resistance in their own countries. Passive resistance quite heavily emanated from South Africa. Let it be Gandhi, let it be John Dube on his ashram in uh, Natal, let it be Lutuli. Um, uh, Nerere was a big advocate of passive resistance in the beginning. And they all then started discussing together actions and mode, modes of operandi of how you can treat people when you capture them, uh, human rights within captivity, and the most logical, educated way to progress out of the Commonwealth. Very interesting. And you say the letter from Latuli and um, and Martin Luther King to Buba. Do you, did you find a reply? Did he... Did Anything that he sent back? Uh, he did reply, uh, stating he will do his best efforts to help them. And then um, he also did um, write various letters appealing to South Africa and the world as a whole. And something I love about history is people just don't talk that way anymore. Right. Like, if I can quote a piece here from um, Buber, uh, an article of his in the New York Times in 57, which actually predates the letter he received. Uh, he wrote, we support the overwhelming majority of the South African people, non-whites and whites, in their determination to achieve the basic human rights that are the rightful heritage of all men. Very, very interesting. I mean, it's, I was going to ask you about, like, how is his tone when he writes his letters? Does he come across very Germanic and formal? Uh, or, or, or is it like more of a soft tone? It, it, how, how do these letters sort of come across to people? Uh, you can imagine someone in Vienna or, or in London or New York sort of opening it up with a letter opener and having to read this thing from, from Martin Buber. Uh, and I'm just trying to get a sense about what a letter from him must have looked like. Well, um, he had better writing than Sigmund Freud, I'll tell you that. (laughs) And not all his pages were uh, readable for me. Mm -hmm. Hopefully with Google and OCR, I'll be able to translate them. But um, his his letters were always very proper, very polite, very kind. And he was very modest. Because of his studies in the Talmud, he's written about uh, stories of the Baal Shem Tov and Ra- uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Nachman. And people started calling him a priest or a rabbi. He's like, I'm not a priest or a rabbi. I'm just a man that likes to study. And then people called him a theologist or a, a, 
theosophist. Right. And he says, I'm not that. I'm just someone writing uh, the undis- I'm not writing about God. I'm not writing about religion. I'm just writing about man's interaction with it. Right. He was a very modest, he must have been a lovely guy. I mean, I found uh, maybe a hundred back and forth correspondence with a friend of his in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the last week he was alive, he was writing replies internationally from his hospital bed. That's uh, quite remarkable. And does he write in English or in Hebrew, in German? Whatever you want. Really? <laughs> he, he's got some Yiddish, some Hebrew, some German, some English. It really depends on who he's um, chatting with. Interesting, interesting stuff. And now, he he didn't just stop there with this one particular letter that uh, that you were talking about, this uh, one from Latuli and Martin Luther King. Uh, but as the struggle in South Africa progressed, he he started writing other stuff as well. Correct. Um, that's when he uh, got more active due to Bill Sutherland's keeping him involved and. Getting him more interested, as it were, in the cause. And mm-hmm. not to say he wasn't interested in the cause. He was fighting every cause he could find. So they had to recruit him to get his focus more honed in. And he also did write a personal appeal, not a joint-sponsored appeal, to the Union of South Africa. And this was specifically connected to the Ravonia trial, mm-hmm. where he wrote, We appeal to you. The blood of men and women who seek only dignity. Those whom you have placed in the dock are created equal with you and your brothers. Talk to them. Listen to them. They have something to say. You will not silence their voices by hanging them. He urged South Africa to use a su- supreme opportunity of proclaiming the supremacy of sanity, of understanding over ruthlessness. All men of goodwill share the accused abhorrence of the idea of exclusive white supremacy and their simple desire to live as free men. It's kind of interesting if you think about where the world is today with a lot of these far-right movements that have sprung up and are you know, starting to engage in all this sort of stuff. It's a letter that in some ways could have been written today. A hundred percent. It's a letter that could have been written today with various extremist groups. And that's why I feel history is so important. They say, if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. But if you don't know your history, you're a man without legs. You're mm-hmm. surviving, but you can't actually go anywhere. Right. And the biggest thing about history is, yes, times have changed. But if we can just learn a slice of the pie from history and how these men with different backgrounds found similar ideals and ways forward without having to be completely on the same page, then we can find a method of progress. Much like uh, even Gandhi and um, Hermann Kallenbach. Kallenbach changed his will seven times. The last time on his deathbed was changed to donate all his money instead to the lo- of the local Indians, but to Wingate in Israel. Mm. And that was, Gandhi wasn't a true believer in Zionism, but he said, they're your people. You must give it to your people. Right, right. They saw eye to eye. That, that is, it is quite interesting because you do have uh, all of these different people uh, getting involved cross-continent. I mean, obviously... Uh, Eleanor, as you said, and Martin Luther King, all from the States, and you have various people on the African continent, someone in Israel, and they were all like writing letters to one another, trying to figure out what to do. And it must have taken them, you know, it wasn't like sending a WhatsApp. Uh, it probably took quite a while to get all the way, all the way there. 
Exactly. And sometimes you even see a bit of overlap in the letters where someone writes a letter asking for help in a certain situation. And then he, they receive a letter back saying, sorry, I only got the letter after a situation. Mm, mm. And as you're saying, Bill Sutherland was England. Then you got America, Africa, Asia. Who was Bill Sutherland? Because I think a lot of the names people might be familiar with, but certainly that one is not someone who I think people know a lot about. Bill Sutherland, I haven't had time to look into in too much depth. I've been more focused on the African aspect. Mm-hmm. But he, he has, he was really, really taken by the struggle in Africa and their need to self-govern. Right. And he was very close with uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. And they worked extremely hard together in their communications of recruitment and empowerment of the current leaders in Africa, such as Nerere, to discuss with each other. You know, you can't always just come to people like the like Britain did and say, this is what's going to happen. Mm. You have to speak to them and say, what is happening? How can we progress forward? What are your points of view on this? Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so intellectual, that aspect. They were chatting to lawyers, most of them educated in the Western world. So they spoke the same language and they could move forwards together. And and Roosevelt and, and Buber were also a part of this conversation. Correct. Buber was more of a back-end player. Mm-hmm. He helped play backup and place pressure. Eleanor Roosevelt, who oddly enough is one of the largest file holders in the FBI and CIA. Right. They were a bit iffy about her or her doings. Right. <laughs> and she was what I believe the real American first lady ideal is. Mm-hmm. The, uh, her husband was very busy locally with uh, and internationally with pressures. She found the cause of Africa and uh, inequality. And she really, she... I'd say over half of the letters in Buber's archives were from Eleanor Roosevelt, the English ones at least. Now, Yossi, you obviously do this uh, research. It's a big part of uh, your, your life. Uh, but you're not, uh, let's say, a full-time academic. You, you know, it's not something that you, you go to university for. What's the reason for that? Well, um, I've always been interested in how I, uh, I did Judaic studies in school mm-hmm. and, um, was one of my favorite subjects. And it's always very interesting how you can frame, uh, an event in history depending on whether you're on the victor side or the victim side. Mm-hmm. And I was always interested in where they overlap. Even from the Torah, I'm very interested in what other religious and ancient texts can co- corroborate the stories in the Torah. Mm-hmm. So I, I then got more and more into it. I was also very, very taken by Jan Smuts um, and his actions to stand up for Israel and the Jewish community as a whole. And then he, his letters were mind-blowing, his wording, his presence just in the letter. And him himself, I mean, he learned ancient Greek in, in six days. Right. He didn't know it was on his uh, curriculum in Cambridge. He got top uh, honors. He beat the whole class. And is this something you would like to pursue going forward? I mean, do you have any ambitions to go do a, a, a master's or a doctorate in like some of these correspondence and, and get it out there academically? Or is it just a hobby at the moment? 
It's a hobby at the moment that I hope to grow, uh, to grow into something bigger. Mm-hmm. Obviously, because it's not a full-time thing or a doctoral thing, um, you go see how much cash is in the bank and how often you can land up in certain areas. Yes. You know, we South Africa is a massive country. You can drive 18-odd hours from here through series to Namibia. And there's many, many libraries on the way. Mm. And even St. Andrew's School, they, they're a, a school, but they also maintain all the archives from Sir George Herbert Farrer, who was part of the Jameson Raid and connected Cecil Rhodes. So, you know, you've got to find out all these small institutions where they lie, as well as the Jewish influence in Great Zimbabwe. You have to actually visit the sites, much like Tudor, um, uh, Parfit did and to find all the links and connections everywhere. So it's something I'd like to progress uh, with. Maybe one of your listeners might be interested to uh, hop on board. <laughs> for sure, if, you, if you're interested. And if people want to uh, see the actual documents, uh, want, to, want to read up for the writer, where can they do that? The, uh, currently, I'm a member of Likud South Africa, and I am assisting Beitar South Africa. And Beitar South Africa has identified various subjects that they're looking to tackle, one of them being the intellectual struggle against apartheid by Israelis and Jews. Okay. And we will be posting it on, on Beitar SA on Facebook, and uh, we're keeping the website on hold for now. And we'll share some of the photos of the archive documents there, as well as um, short articles, one or two page articles going through all this information. Well, I'll be uh, in the next couple of days after the podcast is ready for this and uh, and, and everything is prepped on, on, on your guys' side. We'll be putting it all together also in a article for the Times of Israel uh, on our blog page for the for the thing. So you'll be able to see, hear the audio of, of our discussion and have a look at your uh, your article and, and so people will be able to, to see the pictures and everything. Yossi, thank you so much for coming into studio. Uh, really great, uh, really great to have you. We're going to take a, a short break. We'll be back just after this. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. You're back with 101.9 High FM. Uh, this is the new Blue Review and I'm Benji Shulman. And if you want to WhatsApp us, if you found that uh, story interesting, let us know. 061 one eight nine five one zero one nine. That's WhatsApp. SMS line three four five one nine. And uh, email us on com or tweet us at, at chayfem. I hope you found that uh, to be an interesting discussion. Now, some other interesting things that are taking place. Uh, the new year is getting off to a flying start in uh, in Israel because there's all sorts of things that are literally taking off, and one of them is a new children's book. I found this absolutely fascinating. A new children's book launches with the Israeli mission to the moon. Now, if you have been following uh, the story, uh, listen up. If you haven't, listen up even more closely. There's a group called Space IL, and uh, Space IL is sort of a project. It's connected to the Israeli space uh, agency and also... Uh, also, uh, it was uh, trying to do a prize. There was like a prize that was out there. They wanted, people wanted to land on the moon. Uh, they didn't get the prize, uh, but Space IL has decided nonetheless to launch its first unmanned aircraft, uh, to the moon in 2019. And they want to do it to use the occasion 
to inspire children back down on planet Earth. And so they've, part of that is that they've released this book. Uh, it's called The Little Spacecraft, and it tells the story of Barry, who is a toy spacecraft, uh, which is based on Space Isle's real spacecraft called Barashit, which is, of course, Genesis. Uh, and Barry, who is a spacecraft, dreams of going to the moon. But all the other toys believe that uh, she's too small for such a big dream. Uh, and he, Barry explains to her friends how each of her special tools is designed to accomplish her her mission. Now, uh, what the creators of the book say is that uh, the story is analogous to Space IL's own mission because, of course, uh, normally it's only superpowers who are landing uh, on the moon, and of course, China literally just landed on the moon uh, this last week uh, on the dark side of the moon, and uh, it, people in China were very excited. People in the West were less excited because they think that China might be using the moon as a uh, a place to, um, uh, you know, l- launch technologies that could be harmful. So it's a little bit uncomfortable when superpowers start to do this. But what the little space IL is trying to do is say, look. Uh, even small players can be part of this, and it doesn't have to be uh, negative. The The Space IL craft, by the way, is, is set to take off from Cape Canaveral in Florida in the first quarter of 2019, uh, and so it should reach the moon at the end of a two-month journey. It was established in 2001 by three young engineers who decided to take part in Google's Lunar X Prize to build, launch, and land an unmanned spacecraft on the moon. Unfortunately, the competition was aborted in 2018, but they managed to get extra funding uh, regardless, and and that helped them to see the mission through. So they're still going to do it and uh, are still going to be uh, part of it. And I see that as well uh, connected to this sort of is uh, in South Africa. There is a um, – they've just launched their own microsatellite uh, for, for various – uh, research projects to do with agriculture and water and all these kind of things. So it looks like space is back on the agenda in 2019. And uh, if you want your kids to be part of it, then you can check out The Little Spacecraft, which is written by by Dr. Mom, can you believe it, uh, and illustrated by Shauna Koppel. So uh, there you go. If you are uh, excited about space, excited about that sort of thing, uh, it is something which uh, you can use to get the little ones, um, you know, engaging science and uh, looking at uh, different things like that. So we're going to take a little bit of music, and then after the break we're going to be talking about something else, which is uh, space and flight uh, themed. Uh, it's going to be part of that. Uh, but for now, let's listen to some Uri Feynman. A frequency like no other. 101.9 High FM. 101.9 Chai FM indeed. Benji Shulman here on the New Blue Review. Welcome back to the show. Now, I don't know if maybe in December you were sitting and with your family and maybe thinking about some holidays and some flights you might like to take. And perhaps the idea that you might want to fly from the Philippines to Israel uh, crossed your mind. I don't know. Sometimes happens, I'm sure, uh, to the best of us. And if you did that, you would, of course, know that that would be uh, a very difficult thing to do because there are no direct flights between uh, the Philippines and Israel. And that's because the national carrier of the Philippines uh, can't get over Saudi Arabia. And so the Philippines uh, has asked uh, a special permission so that they can launch a Manila uh, Tel Aviv flight 
uh, if it gets flights over Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. Now, of course, this would make it the second uh, aircraft carrier to get rights, if it managed to get them uh, at all, to fly over Saudi Arabia. The first being India, uh, which was launched a, a little while ago. And it is a little bit un, uh, unusual because, of course, uh, officially at least Saudi Arabia doesn't recognize uh, Israel's right to exist. And uh, But the Philippine airline president, Jamie Bazista, told um, Reuters that the carrier could launch direct flights to Israel's Ben-Gurion airport within six months if it receives permission to use Saudi airspace. Uh, now, it is pretty interesting that this would be uh, happening, uh, especially since it would be only the second airline to be able to do this, and and it would be a, a big thing. The Philippines, of course, is quite a pro-Israel country, has a long history uh, with the Israelis. It voted for partition in '48, which, of course, was quite a big deal, uh, and uh, Israelis have been very involved in helping uh, the Philippines with disaster relief due to hurricanes and all that kind of thing uh, over time. And of course, there's many, many Filipinos who work and live in Israel. And there has been a number of meetings recently between Israel and the Philippines, uh, but to, and particularly at prime ministerial level between uh, R- uh, Roger, excuse me, Rodrigo de Teta, uh, the controversial prime minister, and Benjamin Netanyahu. So uh, this also seems to be part of that engagement. But not everybody is completely happy about this. Uh, the one group of people who aren't is LL, because, of course, LL are not allowed to fly over Saudi Arabian airspace. And they say that if uh, Israel was to allow this to take place, then it would uh, be some sort of unfair Competition and out of line with the charter that the airline signed with the state. But uh, nonetheless, it is interesting to see that things are literally start to f- starting to fly when it comes to Israeli airspace. And the Israelis have actually followed a model of very open skies, uh, allowing as many people to get into Israel as possible, which has really helped tourism. It could be a model that we could look at here when it comes to uh, helping South African tourism uh, increase its foothold on the continent. So I think it's uh, a very interesting story and one to watch, uh, not just because of Phil- the Philippines and Israel, which of course is uh, an important relationship, uh, but also because it shows where Saudi Arabia might be, be heading, uh, given some of the problems that it's had lately, uh, where they, they killed off uh, Khashoggi, the journalist. Uh, a lot of the hype around uh, Saudi Arabia has diminished somewhat and uh, and people are not sure if it's still going to be so in favor of some of the reforms that uh, the current leader, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, might be making. So this could be a weather vane to see if the reform which had begun would uh, you know, continue in that fashion. So definitely something to watch and uh, something to perhaps be excited about if you are from the Philippines and are trying to get to Israel and don't want to do uh, a non-direct flight because let's be honest, uh, direct flights are generally speaking more fun than non-direct flights because it's less tiring uh, and you don't have to like end up sleeping in some dirty terminal somewhere that you didn't think you <laughs> knew anything about and didn't want to know anything about. Pretty much brings us to the end of the show for today. Thank you so much for listening. It's really been a real pleasure. Our first show of 2019 off to a good start. Uh, I'm excited. 
Uh, thank you to everyone for helping to make the show possible. Thank you to Mandy, uh, who does all the production on our side over here. Craig, he pushes all the big red buttons uh, during the show. Uh, and uh, to Vusi, who is our sound engineer, he helps us get it up on the website and ready uh, if you want to share it via the podcast. So uh, that's uh, the whole team. And, of course, thank you to you, listeners, for tuning in to the show. We always uh, love to have you here and we're looking forward to bringing you a whole year worth of interesting culture and current affairs on the new Blue Review. Until then, we'll see you next week.